you're new to this and you're new to church and certainly you're a visitor here this week, you might be thinking, what on earth have they got with all these games and what's all this all about? Uh, it's coming close to Christmas. How many of you play board games over Christmas? Anyone? venture into it and you know a lot of people do play various games as it comes up to Christmas and so we've used this as a little kind of metaphor and we've been looking at some games over the last few weeks. Two weeks ago we looked at Angry Birds. How many of you got Angry Birds on your phone? And uh, I said there's a, I know a few Angry Birds but that didn't go down altogether that well. Um, but we looked at anger and what Jesus had to say about anger. And then last week, we looked at trivial pursuit and what Jesus had to say about that. And we're looking at something that some of you may have heard of. If, you, if you're used to church, you'll know. If you're not used, you may have heard of this. Jesus did some teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the greatest hits of Jesus, double edition CD, all right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in that teaching, he taught about a whole load of things. And he really talks about issues of the day and the games that people were playing with life. And so that's why we're kind of using this as a connection. And today's game is Monopoly. Any Monopoly players in the house? A few of you, yeah. Any cheating Monopoly players in that? Yeah, I thought there was a few. And uh, Monopoly was actually invented in 1903. That's 110 years ago. And it was invented as a means to explain the tax laws of the day. I think they ought to invent another game so we all understand the tax laws of today. But by 1933, 23 years later, Parker Brothers in America marketed it as a board game. And then now there are millions of editions of Monopoly all across the world. There are a whole load of spin-offs. So you get various cities, um, you know, so your local city. You, there's a Lord of the Rings edition. Any geeks? I mean, any people got a Lord of the Rings edition or a Star Wars? I had heard that there was a Wolverhampton Wanderers edition. That's the one where nobody wins at all, okay? That, but I, I, I may be wrong on that one, but just let me throw that in as, a, as an idea. But you know, people play Monopoly differently, and their personalities change when they play Monopoly. And you can tell a lot about a person by the way they play the game. But you know, there are three big questions that determine what kind of a Monopoly player you're going to be. The question number one is this, what do you value most? Number two, how far are you willing to go to win? And number three, do you go big or play it safe? So what do you value most around the board? And there are some people that are they're into hotels and some people go straight to Bond Street and Mayfair and all that. And what do you value? Secondly, how far are you willing to go to win? At what lengths will you go to to win the game? For some of you, that's blood. Do you know what I mean? You'll go to any lengths to win the game. And then when you get to that big moment, do you play it safe or do you go big? And those three questions that determine a Monopoly player... I think Jesus says, actually, those are three great, great questions that determine how you do life. How do you do life? What do you value most? How far are you willing to go to win? And will you play it safe or will you go big? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, but here's the thing. Here's the great thing about Monopoly. The thing is this. At the end of the game, it all goes back in the box, doesn't it? When you've got it all out and you've got your parts and you're the dog or the ship or whatever you are and you play the game and you've got all that money and all those hotels, at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. So we're going to have a look at those three questions this morning. The first question is, what do you value most? And Jesus put it like this, and this is from the Bible. The, the words will come up on the screen. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths, moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some background will help. In the day of Jesus, wealthy people showed how wealthy they were by the clothes they wore. 
So the wealthier they were, the more fancy their clothes were. But Jesus said, it doesn't matter how fancy your clothes are, moths will get to them. The other thing that, that wealthy people did is they showed how wealthy they were by storing their grain in barns. Jesus says, doesn't matter how much grain you've got, doesn't matter how big the barn is, the rats will get under and they will eat it. And they also stored their stuff in locked up places. But thieves could break in and steal. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you value only earthly stuff, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's only temporary. And the problem is that if we only value that kind of treasure, we're valuing the wrong treasure. But you see, our problem as a culture 2,000 years later is that our culture is built on discontentment. And just to prove that, we're going to do a little contentment test with you this morning. Is that all right? Can you cooperate with me this morning? Yeah, some of you are not. Oh, he's a weird guy in church. We have to talk back to him. But I'm going to ask you a question, and you put your hand up if you're content. But I'm going to define what contentment means. So the first question is this. Are you content with your job? That means you're happy with it. You look forward to going to work every day. You like the people you work with, and you think you're paid what you're worth. Anyone content with that? Oh, yeah, yes. Up until the last one, some of you are there, then you weren't quite sure. Right, second one. Now, now this is important because some of you are married and you're sat next to the person you're married to, so you need to be really careful about this one, okay? That sharp thing you feel in your ribs is an, yes, correct, is is an elbow. Are you content with your family life? That means you're content with your spouse, you're content with your kids. If you're single, you're content, and if you're married, you don't want to be single again content. It was so funny at the first service, there was a couple of guys that looked around like this, you know, they were really scared. Number three, are you content with your body? That means, (laughs) that means, do you look in the mirror every day and say, thank you God, or do you say, oh my God? So are you content with your body? Anyone want to admit, okay, both of you, that's amazing. Uh, Number four, are you content with your possessions? That means there's nothing you could buy, eat, wear or own that would make you happier than you are right now. Fantastic. You see, the problem is our culture, and we know it so well right now heading up to Christmas, is built on this philosophy. You are discontent and contentment is one purchase away. Because that's what the media tells you. You really aren't happy in your life, are you? You really are discontent. And if you could just buy this one thing, if you could just use this one shower gel in the shower, your life would never be the same again. You are one purchase away from contentment. That's what our society is built on. The TV ads, they say, use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, drive me, put me in your hair, and you will be satisfied. The thing is, we fail to understand that what we're looking for is none of that stuff, because that's not treasure in heaven. That's not eternal stuff. That's not stuff that will really satisfy us anyway. It's just stuff. At the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. You see, stuff is temporary. Stuff won't bring satisfaction. We get into the when-then syndrome. You know, when I have more stuff, then I'll be more happy. And I know it was Rockefeller uh, that said, whoever says money can't buy you happiness doesn't know where to shop. I know he said that, but actually, it's an unscratchable itch. You know, because we think when we get more of this stuff, then we'll be happy, but we never quite get enough. We never reach more. There's always more by definition. And the Bible has some amazing stuff to say about this in an obscure book in the first part of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It says this in chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. 
No matter how much more you get, it's never enough. So stop trying to look for satisfaction through that kind of stuff. And I think some people say, well, when I have more stuff, I'll be more secure. That's interesting. A couple of verses later, it says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. It's almost like the more stuff you've got, the more insecure you can be, because you think you might lose more. Actually, some of the most secure people I know in the world don't have any stuff at all. And I've sat in in huts in Africa and India and other parts of the world and and, and places where people have got no stuff, but there's just that security and that sense because they don't have all that stuff to worry about that many of us do. So actually, there's a freedom that comes from that. And Jesus nails it by linking heart to treasure. Literally, when, when he says, do not store up treasures on earth, what he literally says in the original language is, do not treasure up treasures for yourselves. Do not treasure up treasures for yourselves. Jesus is saying, sorry, Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, our heart will be in the right place. Jesus says the location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. Do you get that? So let me say it again. He's not saying if we put our treasure in the right place, then our heart will be in the right place. He says, no, your treasure already tells you where your heart is. It already tells you where your heart is because it's linked to your treasure. A guy called John Piper is a Christian writer. He said, when the heart is set on something it values, it cherishes, it treasures it. That's what worship means. That's what we worship. It's simply, oh, I don't worship. I'm not religious. No, you may not be religious, but you worship. Because we all worship. That's how we're created. We worship what we treasure. That's where our heart is, where our treasure is. So what's real treasure that won't get put in the box? Well, let me suggest three things. People are real treasure, aren't they? You know, those three babies that we dedicated today, it's great when you're when you, part of that, and I know all those three couples really well, and you know, behind each of those three kids is an incredible story. Some of you know that because you're close to them. I know that because I'm close to them. But there's an incredible story behind each of these three babies. That is a story of God's grace, God's power, God's just God's love. Incredible. And I know that when, I, when I've seen, I remember seeing Gareth a couple of weeks ago holding a baby and just a look on his face, you know, just the, just the excitement. And it's the same with Dan and Claire and Matt and Sarah and you know, and you just look at that and you know that those parents there, they don't need convincing that people are treasure. Because you couldn't take that baby out of their arms and give them any amount of stuff. It's people that really matter, isn't it? People that really matter. And not just our own kids and babies, but people. They're treasure that don't go back in that box. They are, they're, they're lasting eternity. When we invest in people, we invest in something which lasts forever. You know, we convince ourselves that we need all this treasure and stuff to prove to people we love how much we love them. But, but can I tell you, that's not how you prove whether you love someone. You know, please, when it comes up to Christmas, you're not going to convince someone you love them just by giving them more and more stuff. Parents do that with kids all the time. It doesn't really help the kids and it doesn't really prove that you love them. It just proves that you can buy a lot of stuff. There are other ways to show that we value people. So people is lasting treasure. Character, who you are becoming That's eternal stuff. That's stuff that doesn't go back in the box. And kindness, acts of kindness that you do for others, that really lasts and it really makes a difference. Because you see, here's the thing. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. But these three three things don't go back in the box. What you invest in people and in your character and in acts of kindness, that lives on. So the second question um, that I think Jesus teases out is how far are you willing to go to win? 
It's interesting when you play Monopoly, isn't it? How people's personality can change. So when you land on their square, they are not letting you off. Do you know what I mean? Anyone know anyone like that? But when, but when they land on your square and you haven't noticed, they go strangely silent. Have you noticed that as well? Because they will do anything to win. And Jesus then moves the issue from the heart to the eyes. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? See, this is our problem. It starts with our eyes. And it starts with the green-eyed version of our eyes, which is envy. You see, we envy what other people have got. And that's where our heart gets all mis, mis, mix, mis, mixed up, messed up, mixed up, one of those words. Because our eyes link to our heart. And so we envy other people. We envy the money they've got. We envy the clothes they've got, the stuff they've got, the car they wear, how many Facebook friends they've got. We even envy Christmas lights that the, the next door neighbour's got. And I love this picture that I found on the internet. Here it, here it is. I just think that is brilliant. You know, basically just, let's, let's just take the whole thing out. You win, ditto. Do you know what I mean? That's just fantastic, isn't it? Wouldn't that be great if we applied that to like, yeah, you win, you win, yeah, whatever. And that's, I just love that. Brilliant. But envy is a serious thing because envy is resenting the goodness of God in other people's lives while ignoring the goodness of God in your own. So envy is resenting what something else is happening in someone else's life and ignoring the good stuff in your own. And, and you know, it's impossible to have envy and be really healthy. It says in Proverbs, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy destroys our relationships. But but I want to tell you, you know, the way to deal with envy is to understand that when the game is over, it's all going back in the box. It's all going back, and it don't really matter how much stuff they have, how the size of car they drive, the clothes they wear, the holidays they go to, it's all stuff, and it doesn't really matter last so the third question and I want you to really think about this will you then go big or play it safe so in this game of life that we're all involved in will you go big or play it safe Jesus then moves it on again by addressing the issue of will and in verse 24 he says this no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me make this really clear. Jesus never says that it's wrong to have money. Money's a great tool, terrible master. What Jesus says is you cannot serve both God and money. You can have God and money, you cannot serve both. He doesn't say it's really difficult to serve God and money, but if you try really hard, you can do it. He says you can't do it. Because it's about your heart and it's about who's really in control of your life and what you're really living for. And you cannot really live for God and really live for money. Does anyone um, know that uh, American writer, kids writer, Dr. Zeus? Anyone heard any Dr. Zeus stuff? You're the Grinch and all that lot. So I know there are some Americans in, so I'll throw this in. So he, he did a story called uh, Yertle the Turtle. Okay, very moving powerful uh, thing which we're going to talk about and Yertle the turtle King Yertle was uh, the turtle as it happened which rhymes um, over all of these turtles in this pond and one day he he wanted to just prove how great he was and how powerful he was and he wanted to see the extent of his kingdom okay 
So he called, did an edict and called all the turtles to gather together and asked them to stack on top of each other so that he could build a really high tower and then he could go to the top and he could look out and see how big his kingdom really was. And that's what happened. And he's standing on the top and he's looking out and it's looking like a secure kingdom. But in the stack of turtles was a powerless little turtle called Mac. And this is what Dr. Zeus said. That plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped. And his burp shook the throne of the king. Yertle the turtle had a great fall. And all the king's men couldn't put Yertle together again. That's profound, isn't it? You heard it here in church. Can I just say that? And just this idea that we think that it's so secure, but actually whatever we've built, whatever stuff we've got that's earthly can go like that. Many of you know that to be true from your own experience. And it's at moments like that when you think, who really is in control of my life? Who am I really serving? Because you can only serve God or you can only serve stuff. So what does it mean to go big rather than playing it safe? I think it's all about our hands. It's all about in life whether our hands are closed and we're holding and we're hoarding and we're grabbing and we're trying to protect or whether our hands are open and we're living like that. That's big living. Let me give you a few ideas around it. When you go big in life, I think it means you don't allow yourself to be defined by your stuff. It's a fantastic verse in the book of Luke chapter 12 from the message, which is a new translation. And Jesus just said this, life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. I love that. Life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. A psychologist once said this, this headlong pursuit of instantaneous happiness is designed to distract us from the emptiness we feel and to numb the pain of our relational failures and our gnawing sense of futility. This addiction requires daily, sometimes hourly fixes. And what happens, you see, is that I, we, me and Alison went Christmas shopping this, this week. We took two days off annual leave and went Christmas shopping and we thought we we're going to get it all done in two days. And having been together for 30 years, we finally found a way to do it and not kill each other, which I think is success. So we went shopping, and there's nothing wrong with shopping. But we've got to understand that the constant addiction of getting more stuff is all about what's going on or not going on on the inside. And life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. It will never deal with the gnawing issues that are on the inside of human beings. Second idea is this. When you live big, when you go big, when you play this game of life, you can be generous with what you've been given. You know, I, I use this phrase a lot. Some of you know that. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And, and financial giving is a massively important thing in this whole deal. And, and I love the fact that this church is a really, really generous church. And, and you give fantastically to the work of the church and to our partners overseas and on other projects. And that's fantastic because that reflects that we want to go big. We don't want to play it safe. And so last Sunday morning, we took an impromptu offering up for the Philippines crisis. You guys gave over £7,000 last Sunday morning, which is great, which is amazing, isn't it? And, and that says to me that there's a heart here in this church that wants to go big and not play it safe, not hold on to it. Well, it's coming up to Christmas. I need it all for me. I need it all for my friends. Now, actually, we've got so much. And these guys, other side of the world, that we don't know I've actually got nothing right now. And could we just help a little bit? What a fantastic thing to do. We can be generous with what we've been given when we go big. Thirdly, and this is important for many of you in this room, we don't have to live in constant fear and choking anxiety when it comes to stuff. 
What do I mean? Jesus goes on in the next passage of the Bible here to describe a way of living that our culture knows nothing about. And some of you in this room are going to inside go, I want to know that. I want to be like that. Listen to how he says it. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And the answer is, yeah, you are. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he goes on to say towards the end of this this chunk of, of the Bible, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, the stuff that you need, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow, so Jesus says, look, look, those birds in the air, they don't worry, they don't have anxiety, they don't have all that stuff, because they know their heavenly Father will look after them. The lilies in the field, he goes on to say, the flowers in the field, they'll sort it out. God loves you more than he loves those birds and those flowers. He will provide for what you need. So that doesn't mean that you don't ever worry about stuff. It doesn't mean you're not ever anxious. But what the words literally mean in the original language when it's first written is it means that that it's kind of a life-choking grip around your neck where you can't think about anything else because it's gripped you so tightly. Jesus says you don't have to live like that. That's amazing, isn't it? And I know there are some of you in this room and you say, that's all right for you to say, Leon, because you've got a job and you can pay your mortgage and I can't right now. All I can say is that I know that there is a God in heaven who loves you, who knows what you need, and we don't have to live in that life-choking anxiety. We can come to him, and he can release us from that, and instead give us a peace. Doesn't mean we won't ever think about the stuff, doesn't mean we won't ever get slightly concerned, but we don't have to live in constant fear and anxiety because of who God is. And the Bible says that he knows what we need. And he will give us, the Bible says, our daily bread. Not necessarily our daily chocolate cake, but our daily bread. The stuff we need rather than the stuff that we want. Next idea. We can actually, when we live big, we can actually store up real treasures. You see, at the end of the game, everything goes back in the box. And let me just tell you what goes back in in the box for you. Your possessions go back in the box. Your savings, your CV, your body the pleasures that you've enjoyed, others' opinion of you, security, titles, positions, youth, your stunning good looks, it all goes back in the box. Because it's all temporary. But what doesn't go back in the box is God, the character that God is working with in your life, the investment you made in other people. None of that goes back in the box because that's all eternal. And that's the stuff that Jesus says, if you're going to play this game, play for that stuff not that other kind of stuff. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So I want to finish by just describing a little vision of how to live and see whether it resonates within you. And you know some of you this morning, you're not Christians. And that's absolutely fine. And we love it that you're here. We are a church that really welcome people who are not Christians. Come and check it out. And can I say, if you're not a Christian... This teaching of Jesus, even if you don't get the whole Jesus being God thing and the faith thing, this is great teaching. We really need to hear this as a culture. Do you know, we are the most indebted culture ever to exist. Someone was telling me this morning, it's trillions and trillions of debt that we have as a culture across this planet. It's, it's frightening. 
Christmas Day, most calls that happen to social care will apparently be when people open all their presents and then realise just how much in debt they really are and they will panic and they will ask for help. Scary. So if you're not a Christian this morning, this is great stuff to live by. And I want to just explain this to you. And this is from a a book by a guy called John Ortberg. Our kind of book of the month goes along with this series. We've been uh, advertising it. And this is what, what he says. This is how he phrased it is being rich towards God. Being rich towards God. This is what he says. Being rich towards God means growing a soul that is increasingly healthy and good. Being rich towards God means loving and enjoying the people around you. Being rich towards God means learning about your gifts and passions and doing good work to improve the world. Being rich towards God means becoming generous with your stuff. Being rich towards God means making that which is temporary become the servant of that which is eternal. And being rich towards God means savouring every roll of the dice and every trip around the board. I want to live like that, don't you? I want to live like that. I want to enjoy the stuff, but I don't want, to, I don't want it to use me. I want to use it because I want to be rich towards God. Because at the end of the day, when the game is all over, where's it all going? Back in the box. So let's have a little think as we draw in. A few weeks is Christmas. All of us can take some stuff out of this for Christmas. Let me just throw a few humble ideas. Many of you are like, oh, you're teaching your grandma to suck eggs, whatever that really means. I don't know what that really means, but there you go. But but, but think about this. Set a budget and stick to it. Don't go into unnecessary debt to try and prove how important that person is to you. That's just ridiculous. Don't go into debt that you don't need to do. Unsecured debt. Another thing you could do is try alternative gifts. You know, on the back of the notes, there's some website links there for you, which are alternative gifts. Because to be honest with you, that, you know, pair of Calvin Klein pants that you bought for that person or whatever, they'll stick that in their drawer with their other Calvin Klein pants that you also bought for them all those years, and they're not going to lose any sleep about it. You could try something different to still express your love and your care for that person. But there are some alternative gifts which actually can bring some help and hope to people in the world which are also, was also another really important thing. So you could try that. You could find some other ways to express love towards someone other than just buying gifts. It doesn't, we don't have to get swept along with this whole culture's obsession with more and more stuff, more and more debt, more and more chronic breakdown inside and in families. We don't have to do that. We can live differently. But then for life, like I said, if you're not a Christian, I think this is great teaching to live by. You know, when you, when you do research on people's regrets, and I've done a lot of research around this, but when, if you were to put it into one phrase, you know, what do people regret in their life? You could, you could phrase it like this. I would have loved more deeply, laughed more often, given more generously, and lived more boldly. Whatever research you do, you could put it into that phrase. Basically, that's what people regret. If they had the time again, they'd have loved more deeply, laughed more often, given more generously, and lived more boldly. So whether you're a Christian or not this morning, why don't we live like that? That's a great way to live. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, I know many of you are, where are you storing up treasures? Where are you really investing in your life? How are you playing this game called life? And then finally, I want to say, is there anyone worried or anxious today? And you may be. This resonated with a lot of people in the first service. So yeah, I am worried. I am anxious. Then Jesus gives you an invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you 
rest. So if you're anxious right now about your job, about stuff, about Christmas, about your mortgage, about your family, about your kids, Jesus says, Jesus invites you to come to him and he will give you rest. That's a great invitation, isn't it? Because he knows you and he cares about you. And whether you know or care for him or not doesn't alter the fact that he still knows and cares for you. And he invites you this morning to come to him and he will give you rest. Why don't we pray? God, thank you this morning that we've seen on the stage, Lord, what real treasure is. Carried in the arms of the parents there and we we looked at those three babies and we think about them growing and we think about the character that they'll become and the men and the women that they'll become and think about the impact that they'll have on this world and God, we, we look at that and that's just a little snapshot really about... I think what you're talking about when you talk about store up treasures in heaven, store up things that are eternal, invest in people, invest in character, invest in good deeds, invest in change in this world. God, forgive me because I get sucked into discontentment just as easy as anyone else does. God, it never works. More is never enough. More never brings us satisfaction. God, it only leaves us feeling empty and, need, and wanting to need more. But God, thank you this morning that you've reminded us that there is another way to live. So Father, we want to choose to live that way today. God, I want to pray if there's anyone here who, who is worried or anxious right now, God, I pray that they would hear your invitation to come to you because you promised that you'll give us rest. Just to take that anxiety that threatens to choke the living daylights out of us, just to take that away that we can know that you're a God in heaven who knows us, who loves us, who knows what we need before we know it, who has promised to give us our daily bread. God, you're an amazing God. So Lord, we open our hands. We open our hands and we say, Lord, we want to play big. We want to go big. We want to be generous. We're not going to be defined by stuff. We're not going to be choked by anxiety. We're going to invest in eternal treasures because that's the best way to live our one and only life. So help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.